Thanks for checking out the UNI Salt Company podcast. To learn more about us, go to saltcedarfalls.com. I feel like I should just call it a night, right? <laughs> wow. Um, between Peter and Judas's uh, moment and Dalton, I, I don't know what else is left. Um, goodness gracious. I still have goosebumps. Anybody, right? I feel that. You guys, Dalton has become a really good friend of mine. He leads worship at Veritas in Iowa City. I admire the heck out of that guy, the way he wants us and others and how he even himself knows Jesus is contagious as we just experienced that. And so I'm thankful, Dalton, for you coming tonight. If you are new for any reason, my name is Michael. I lead Salt Company here with Jordan Prohoda. And I'm really excited, like a freak out, kind of weird, giddy excited. You know how a kid feels right before Christmas, they can't really sleep, that kind of a thing? Yeah, that's how excited I am about this series that we're starting, okay? So it's called Gospel Change. It's called Gospel Change. I want to unpack kind of why I wanted to do a series like this. So a lot of times, and I think many of us in this room, we hear Dalton talk uh, even then about how God is our deliverer or how our faith in Jesus should bring us joy. But what I actually think is true is many of us in this room don't live our Christian life with much joy at all. I think actually what feelings or emotions might characterize your Christian life is more like frustration a confusion, or even maybe doubt and insecurity. And I want you to know that was never supposed to be the things you were to feel when you heard the message of Jesus and believed the gospel. It's also a reality that the gospel is not just this thing out there or this nice idea that we believe. It's actually supposed to be something that can change you, that can transform who you are at the very core of who you are. But I think we misunderstand its importance and its purpose. And I think it leaves a lot of us maybe wondering if we got the off-brand version of salvation. You know what I'm talking about? When your mom would come home with Tastios instead of Cheerios, you're like, that again? Like, you say it's the same, but one tastes like cardboard and the other helps my heart from cholesterol, right? You know the difference. There's a difference. I think a lot of us live wondering, is my salvation off-brand? Is there something broken When it comes to the life I'm living as a Christian, is it faulty? Maybe you've asked yourself this question, like I've asked the question to myself, if I'm supposed to be a new creation, why doesn't anything look or act or even seem very new about my life? And I think it's probably because you found yourself in a ditch that a lot of Christians find themselves in. And this ditch actually has two sides. And I want to talk to you about those two sides, help us frame in where it is we're going to be going for these last few weeks of Salt Company. So the one side of the ditch is called the guilt ditch, okay? You live your Christian life pretty much guilty. You have this low-grade sense of guilt all the time, especially when it comes to how you and God are doing. I mean, your day probably starts like this. You wake up late for class, right? You have no idea how that happened, except you hit snooze 10 times. You jump out of bed, throw on your yoga pants or your joggers, which joggers are just male yoga pants, right? You ever think about that? You throw those on. You can't see what you're doing. You throw your Patagonia head on. You kick the side of your bunk or your bed, and you say a word you know Jesus probably wouldn't like. You're like, there it is. The day's over. You already are in a place 
where you think God is mad at you and you're feeling guilty. Then you go to class and you know Steve or Stacy, because there's guys and girls in here, sitting next to you doesn't know Jesus, but because you're late, you're frustrated, and you're already cussed, you decide to leave them be, even though they're asking you questions that could help you talk to them about Jesus. But you don't say anything. You go home that night, you Netflix binge for three hours, and as you lay your head on the pillow, you are convinced God was mad at me today. I am guilty, and God didn't love me today. Some of us live in that place because we slide often into that ditch. Now, there's another side to that ditch, though, too. It's this one where we find ourselves with this misplaced sense of entitlement. It's this belief that your good behavior has actually earned God's approval or favor and is smiling at you. Okay, this, this starts with, like, you get up early, the coffee is ready, and you already have goosebumps, and you only went through one psalm, right? You know, you're like, man, Jesus, you're here. This is great. It's 6 a.m., or 8 p.m. I don't know when you guys wake up, but 6 a.m. for me most days. Then, like, you prayed at every meal. Like, that's a big deal, right? Even as you put poncheros into your body, you prayed God would somehow make it good for you. You prayed at every meal. You felt great. Connection group was awesome. On your way from class, you got to talk to Steve or Stacy, and when they did ask about Jesus, you were able to tell them who he was and invite them to Salt Company. And even before bed, you listened to Elevation, right, in your headphones. No Netflix. <laughs> And you go to bed and you are convinced, God, you love me today. I had a good day. I had a good day. And what I want you to know is both of those stem from a wrong belief that the love of God is in any way attached to your behavior or actions. There, the idea that there are good days or bad days in the eyes of God on your life is anti-gospel in every way. And so you have to begin to ask, what is causing that? Why would I have a misplaced view of something that's supposed to be so good? And this is what I think it might be, is that you have an incomplete view of the gospel. Maybe you haven't had it articulated to you in its full, or you've just forgotten it. Or then the third option, you actually haven't heard the gospel. And that's what tonight is for. Because a lot of us, if you ask us, we grew up in church, we can tell you the gospel is a life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus saved my sins, and I got in. I became a Christian. But what we have to understand is the phrase, Jesus died for my sins, is like sticking your big toe in the ocean of all that the gospel has for you. You are just getting started, and you're not even close to the bottom. The gospel was not your admission. It's the oxygen you should breathe to live your Christian life. The gospel is the oxygen you and I should be breathing to live our Christian life. We just got to celebrate my little Auden Jude's first birthday on Monday. Yes, I talk about my kids because God loves kids. I'm going to do it again. So she turned one. She's incredible. Her name's Audio. She does this thing now where she says hi. She goes, hi, hi. It's so cute. It's amazing. And she says baby. She goes, baba. And then when she gives kisses, she's an open mouth kisser. It's kind of weird, but it's cute because she's one. She goes, ah. And just goes right for it, and Lisa and I are like, yep, come here, baby. Huh? Okay, that was a cheerio, but we keep rolling, right? <laughs> well, whenever we celebrate a birthday, we remember the birth story. It's something that I love to do, and as they get older, we'll continue to tell them their birth story. What happened the day that Auden was born did not go like this. Okay, here comes the baby. I'm going to spare you the details. Okay, we're waiting for her to take one big deep breath. <gasps> 
Okay, she's good. There it was, that one breath that will help her live the rest of her life. No, that's not how it went. What the doctor was looking for is Auden's ability to go, that showed us that she was healthy, that she was going to survive, and that she was going to sustain her life. And the very same thing should be true of us. But I think a lot of us took one big deep breath, we got in. And then we haven't really breathed since then. And so I think it's why a lot of you live these dysfunctional or what feels to be a crippled Christian life. Something just seems to not be working. And I think it's because you're oxygen deprived. And that's why the the life you're living doesn't seem to be the one that you thought you would get. And it might even be that some of you have not taken your first breath at all tonight. And so what we're going to do to start the Gospel Change series is talk about your birth story. We're going to go back and remember how it was we were born and took our first breath of the Gospel. We're going to look at everything that happened when we first breathed the Gospel into our lungs. And we're going to do that in Romans chapter 3. Verses 19 to 28. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 to 28. I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive right in. Jesus, I, I want to confess my inadequacy in this moment. The, the very gospel struggle that I'm talking about is the one that I face almost every single day. And as I open my life and we open your word, Jesus, would you be the thing? Would you be the one? And would your word be what it is that we focus on, that we delight in, and that changes us. We want to confess that without your spirit, we'd all have just gathered here for nothing, but because your spirit is here, we can be changed. We can say something happened tonight because we were met by God himself. So would you do that, Jesus, as we read your word and unpack it together in your name. Amen. I'm going to read the passage. We're going to start to unpack this thing. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. But now apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. That is God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as a propitiation through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No. On the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Okay. The first thing that I want you to know and I want us to know is the gospel means the good news. It's supposed to be good news. But it's not like you drive through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru and ask for two Chick-fil-A sauces and then you open your bag and you get five that are happening to you, you're like, yes, you are real, thank you. You drive away while also getting fatter. It's a beautiful day. It's good news on top of good news. That's not what kind of good news this is. 
Because the good news that the gospel is, is like you're sitting in the waiting room because the doctors found something and they think it's life-threatening and not sure if they can find a cure. But the gospel is the good news that comes and says, we didn't find anything or what was there is now gone. That's the kind of good news that's being shown to us in this passage tonight. And it has to be that kind of good news because we all have a very serious problem. Our problem is that we fall so short of the standard of God's law. We fall short of the way that we were supposed to live and behave, the one that God gave to us. Look at verse 19. That's what it's saying to us. Now we know that whatever the law, God's standard of behavior says, speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. So let me unpack that, right? So we live in America, right? Hope you didn't get shocked by that. We would have a lot more conversation now. So we live in America. We also live in Iowa, right? There's a really weird law that I found out about Iowa. It's that any man with a mustache cannot kiss a woman in public, right? Some of you ladies are like, amen. <laughs> and I, 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 the one thing that this is like, so does this count? Because the mustache is attached to the beard, right? So let's just say it is. I've broken the law a lot, Okay. That means I kiss my wife. It's totally okay. Come on. Some of you didn't get that. We're there. So it's illegal for a mustache man to kiss a woman in public, I guess. But if you leave Iowa, you mustached men or mustache hopefuls when you're like 30 and it finally happens, you can kiss your girlfriend or your wife, whoever she is at the time, all you want, right? Because you've left Iowa. That weird law no longer applies. So Follow me. In the same way, the laws or standard of behavior that has been set before us by our creator, by God himself, the guy who made everything, so there's no place we can go to escape the requirements of his law, he has said to all of us, you're guilty. Because his law expands to all the universe. You cannot go anywhere to escape the standards God has placed on you. And what we see is that that standard is one that we fall short of. We are all guilty. Verse 20 says, For no one will be justified, that means made right or righteous or good, in his sight by the works of the law. What that just said is no one can be right by what they do because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. I promise you, if you spend a day trying to earn your way into God's righteousness, you will fail and the harder you try, the deeper the grave you are digging yourself. And there's two commandments, just in case you don't believe me, that Jesus said are kind of the two big ones. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. So my question, if for some reason you're wondering, am I guilty, is has there ever been one moment where you haven't perfectly loved God or other people? Has there ever been one moment? This happens almost every single day for me, right? Every single day, I in some way break those two laws. Okay, and God's law is still different from man's. Unlike the laws of man, God does not have some sort of sliding scale for the punishment we receive depending on the law we break, right? So in Iowa, if you speed, depending on how fast you're going, you'll get a ticket of some kind, right? If you sell heroin... It could happen. Hope not. You go to jail. 
right? You get a bigger fine. Something happens. If you get caught mustache kissing, I didn't look it up, but I bet they just go and give you the Red Sea where you just look really weird. Split right there. It's a Bible joke. Sorry, I tried it. Um, I thought it was funny, but I wrote it. So what what James 2.10 says is this. For whoever keeps the entire law, whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point, no matter how small, is guilty of breaking all of it. Is guilty of breaking all of it. No matter how small the infraction against God's law, it makes you totally guilty of breaking all of it. And this is where an understanding of the gospel has to start. It has to start with the bad part, with us realizing that we have a very long, very bad, very dark criminal record against the God of the universe. In the eyes of God, our behavior will never qualify us for his goodness or mercy. Exact, it has done the very opposite. It makes us perfectly qualified for his wrath and his rejection. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death. Your good or bad deeds bring you death, and that's it. Which confronts that ditch that I said we find ourselves in so often. It asks the question, why would the good news of the gospel have anything to do with our behavior, good or bad, if there's no way it can justify us? Why would God set up a standard of approval that he knew we could never, ever meet the standards of? It proves that that's not the gospel. Because it's your behavior that actually condemns you. And as long as you believe that it is up to you, there will never be oxygen in your lungs. Because something totally apart from us, totally separate from what we do, had to happen. It had to happen. There was no way. That's what the scriptures are saying right here. And the good news, the one we were waiting for in the waiting room, is there a way out of my condition? The answer is yes. And it starts in Romans 3.21, right there. But now. He says, but now. Apart from the law, apart from doing more, apart from performance, apart from behavior, apart from your actions, having nothing to do with you or what you do, God's righteousness has been revealed. A chance to be right before the eyes of God, apart from his standards of behavior, is available. This is the origin of every Christian's first breath. The prophets in all the Old Testament was talking about it. That's what it means when it says, that it was attested by the law and the prophets. It says the righteousness of God is, okay, this is how this happens. This is how you take your first breath, through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. Salt Company, your faith, your trust, and any hope you have that you put in Jesus does what your behavior or attempts to perform never, ever could and never, ever will. The first breath we take as believers only comes when we acknowledge with Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and instead cling to all that Jesus has done. All the changing we could do, any believing we could do, any becoming or breathing of any kind in the Christian life is no way, not even a little bit attached to you or your actions or your behavior. What you do only digs your grave, but what Jesus did gives you life. What you do only digs your grave, but what Jesus did gives us life. 
And that first breath for many of you in the hospital room, it was oxygen that you breathed in deeply for the first time. But what we breathe in when we understand the gospel is so much better. It's what it says in verse 24. This is what happened in that first breath of gospel life. It says they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as a propitiation, it's a big word, I'll explain, through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. In that first breath that you take in, you breathe in justification, redemption, and propitiation. And I know some of you are worried, but I have my master's degree. So I'm going to give this thing a shot. You can trust me, right? Someone else paid for it. It was a church. Come on, guys. You're like so nervous. I know that I don't seem that smart, but I promise I can take you through this. Because nerding out on this stuff, okay, even if you just take a moment to listen to what those three big Christian words mean, will actually be the key to you experiencing change through the gospel for your lifetime. Understanding these three things will help you understand how the gospel can change you for your entire lifetime. It will help us begin to experience the power of the gospel the way we have always meant to. And we're going to start with that word justified. I'm not talking about Justin Timberlake's first solo album. Okay, ladies, just let it go. What it means when it says there they are justified, they are justified I mean, just a few verses ago, he said we would never be justified on our behavior. And a few verses after hearing the good news of the gospel, suddenly we are. It's the thing we could never be based on what we could do is to be made right with God. And you have to stop there. When we are justified, we are made right with God. That doesn't mean that he looks on you with indifference. That doesn't mean that we were made neutral with God or tolerable. It means we were made right We were made right. He sees you and sees no guilt. He sees you and sees no shame for sin. He sees you and says, you are righteous. You are good. I accept you. That's what it means. And none of it had anything to do with you. He erases your guilty record. Your criminal record to him doesn't just say nothing. It says you go to nursing homes and walk old ladies across streets. Like it says good stuff about who you are. It's not that you just become neutral and get to start over. It's that you get to be seen as some sort of honor roll student who always gets straight A's. And you did nothing. And he looks at you and he says, not guilty. He says, not guilty. But how does this play out in real life, right? You're like, okay, I I want you guys to know. So this this is what this means. It means you could walk out of Salt Company, even right now if you wanted to. You're unhappy with my sermon, just hear this. You could walk out of Salt Company right now if you know Jesus, find a two-by-four, and hit an old lady as hard as you wanted to in the head, right? You just, wham, Ethel, good night and good luck. (laughs) You would still be right in the sight of God. Okay, we laugh, but let me give you a few other scenarios. How about when you go too far with your significant other again? when that article of clothing came off again that you said wouldn't? What if for like the third week in a row, your Bible's still collecting dust next to your bed? 
or when you lie to your roommate or your parents again? Or where you hide that thing for like the 10th week in a row and don't tell your connection group? He says, not guilty. He says, not guilty. But so many of us have those things happening to us right now. You're sitting in this room and you know what it was that just came to your mind when I read those things. And you don't believe he says not guilty. You're ashamed. And you're hiding because you believe you are guilty and you believe he wants nothing to do with you or that somehow because you've messed up again, he's going to hold you accountable to it. And so you live this Christian life in this stagnant place with constant defeat and no victory. Because what you don't understand and what I want you to hear tonight is despite how you do on the test, because you've been justified, you are forever on the honor roll. And you are declared not guilty forever and always. There's nothing you could do to change that verdict. You have to hear me because you won't believe it tomorrow morning. But the gospel says that Jesus looks on you forever and says, not guilty. Not guilty because it never had anything to do with what you do. It had everything to do with what he did. You are not guilty. So when you wake up tomorrow morning and you choose to sleep in and skip your quiet time, you should not feel ashamed. You should hear him say, not guilty. And that should motivate you to open that thing and say, I want to know the God who's willing to see every horrible thing I do and look on me and say, you are right with me. You are not guilty. And my love is here for you. You are right and you can never make it wrong again in the gospel. And it was free to us. It was a gift of grace that cost Jesus his life. So what it says, justification came through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Because the guiltless blood of Jesus was spilled as a payment for the guilty blood of every sinner in this room in all the world. You were ransomed. Your guilt and shame was paid for. And it wasn't just like a one-time thing or for a part of your life. What you owed and would owe was completely paid in the gospel by the blood of Jesus. And you will never have to pay again because it paid for all your sin. Even the stuff you haven't done yet, it was paid for. It's gone. You never have to make up for it and you can't sin enough to need more of it. It was paid for. And this is for all those anxious, recovering youth group kids like me who every week on Wednesday night you rededicated your life to Christ again and again and again and again because you were so sure that you were in trouble, that you were so sure that you were guilty and that you had more sin that he needed to forgive. And the whole time, he said the one time was enough because my blood covered all of it. And the life you were living in shame, he wanted you to live in freedom. It never has to be done again and it doesn't fade away because his blood was an atoning sacrifice. So your Bibles dress that idea up of an atoning sacrifice, and they call it a propitiation, right? Verse 25, it says, God presented him, that's Jesus, 
as a propitiation through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness. The best way I can get you to think about what propitiation means is to tell you a line in the song, In Christ Alone. So if you want to know what does it mean, propitiation, it means this. On that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. On that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And I want you to know if you're in this room, propitiation should be your favorite word if every time you sin, you think God's mad at you again. Propitiation should be your favorite Christian word if every time you sin, you're convinced God is mad at you again. See, I think so many of us, if you're like me, you live this Christian life in insecurity. You're constantly worried that God is some kind of father who when you mess up, he's coming to look for you and you need to hide Lately, our three-year-old Finley has been doing something just like this when she gets in trouble. She comes to us, and when she's done something wrong, and we help her see that, she goes, yeah, but, but Mommy, do you love me? And she kind of backs away from us in tears, and she goes, but Daddy, you love me, right? But, but Daddy, you love me, right? Like, you're, you're not mad at me, Daddy, are you? You're not mad at me, Daddy, are you? Mommy, like, you love me, Right? And when you and I mess up, we keep doing the same thing to God. We're afraid of what he's going to do or what he's going to think. And so we back away from him. But the whole time we're taking our sin with us. We're not giving it to him so he can take it from us. Because we think he's going to be angry. And what he says because of Jesus that my anger was poured out on the cross so I never have to pour it out on you. My son Jesus absorbed the wrath that you deserved so that you would never have to. And because he satisfied his anger, apart from your behavior, you see that it has nothing to do with what you do again. He never comes to you and says, again? Again? You did it again? What's wrong with you? You failed again? God never speaks that way. God never speaks that way to us. Instead, he says, I love you. Just like I try to say to Finley. Except, guys, sometimes I get angry. God never does. And he can look at you and he says, I'm not mad. I never have to be mad, so you never have to run again. When you sin If you know Jesus, God is never mad at you again. God is never mad at you again. You do not need to hide from him. You do not need to be afraid because he is no longer angry. That was your first breath. In one instant, by the power of the gospel, that is the first Thing you breathed in. Your relationship is now never broken. You are always forgiven, and Jesus Christ is never angry. God will never pour his wrath out on you again, all because he accomplished it completely apart from you and me. I mean, look at what the text says with me. It says, God presented him as this propitiation. It was through his blood to demonstrate his righteousness. 
It was through redemption in Jesus Christ. If I'm starting to sound like a broken record about how much the gospel has nothing to do with you, I'm barely getting there for how much I need to be saying it to us. Because tomorrow morning, I think you and I are going to wake up and our default will be to believe once again that our behavior is going to determine whether or not God loves us today. And what we have to do is boast in that first breath in every part of it every single day. Paul says that. Where then is boasting? What are you going to brag in? What are you going to tell your heart every day? He says there's no place for it. It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And some of you in this room have never taken your first breath. You are so sure that your confirmation, that your catechism, that some kind of class you took or prayer you prayed has made you right with God. And I want you to know that you are not. Because as long as you think it has anything to do with you, you will not breathe the oxygen of the gospel. And I want all of us who do know Jesus to do tonight is begin to breathe deeply again, to watch what the gospel does when we breathe it in and all that it has for us. We need to constantly, consistently, perpetually tell our hearts the truth of the gospel. Every day, we need to wake up and give up the notion that God's approval of us is somehow in our hands or based on our behavior. Every time you fail, you need to remind yourself that you are still loved and that God is not mad. And every time you succeed, you need to tell yourself he's not impressed because that's not why he loved me in the first place. Salt Company, there is no such thing as a good day or a bad day in the eyes of God because every day is a day you are covered by grace. Every day is a day you are covered by his grace. But without this daily boast, without this daily telling yourself or even constant of telling yourself, this is true, you'll slide back into that ditch. You'll throw in the towel if it's a bad day. Or you'll find yourself at the end of a good day with your elevation worship on thinking, God, you're smiling at me. But what the gospel means is you don't owe and you never earn. You just have faith. You give up the false gospel of performance and you believe in the gospel that's been given to you by grace. That you are always right with him. That he's forgiven you for all of it, even the stuff you haven't done yet and that he's never mad at you when you do it again. You were not supposed to live, you and me, honest moment, we're not supposed to live our Christian lives like we're about to take an exam, right? I think some of us have test anxiety about our Christian lives. We're constantly worried about every move we make and everything we do, right or wrong, wondering, is he going to love me, is he not? Is he going to love me, is he not? Am I going to fail or not? What you have to understand is the test was taken for you, and you always get an A relieve and remove the pressure you feel to do this thing perfectly and you'll find that you can do it through grace. Grace means we don't have to be good enough. That's the truth of the gospel. When you breathe that in, you'll begin to change. And every morning, you gotta tell yourself that this is what's true. It's not about what I do, but about what he did. When, uh, when Auden was born, she actually did have breathing problems. Um, she had this kind of wheezing or fluid in her lungs, and you could tell as she breathed, she wasn't getting that full breath. 
something was wrong. I think the nurses were, were playing it off pretty chill, like it was going to be fine. And we, we, we weren't worried. I was like, man, my wife's incredible, and there's this baby. But as they continued to notice that she couldn't breathe, they're like, what is the solution? How do we help this little baby breathe again? It wasn't to hook her up to a machine. And it wasn't to leave her there and help her, let her figure it out on her own. What they actually did is they took off her little snuggy blanket and they got her skin as close to her mama's skin as possible. And as she laid there as close as she could be to my wife, little by little, her breath stopped wheezing and started deeper and deeper and deeper breaths. And she's never had a problem since. Auden was able to pull away from Lissa and can live just fine. But you and I could never do that when it comes to breathing in the gospel. We need to constantly be dependent on our Father. We need to constantly lean into Him and rely on what He can do to help us breathe. Because the minute we pull away and think we can do it on our own, we'll begin to wheeze again. And we'll begin to have breathing problems. What we have to understand is the gospel was never about us. It was always about what he did. And what he did was incredible. And it's going to change us. Pray with me. Jesus, I'm thankful for that moment in the hospital when my little Auden couldn't quite breathe. And I love that it's so what you do for us. You pull us as close as you can. But the reality is we were never breathing in the first place. And the only way we do is if you give us life first. And so I pray in this room, even right now, there would be people taking their first breath. That they would be totally and completely in awe of a God who saw a completely guilty sinner who didn't deserve or earn anything, and yet offer all you had by putting your life in their place. And I pray for every one of us, whether we've been following Jesus since we were three, or if we've been following Jesus for three days, that we would remember that we are always right in your sight. That we would remember that every sin has been forgiven and that you aren't angry anymore. And would we worship to that end? And as we worship, and as we remind our hearts of these things, boasting in the truth of the gospel, would we watch as you change us? With every breath we take, Jesus, would you change us? This has been a message from The Salt Company. We'd love for you to join us Thursday nights at 8 p.m. at Canada Church in Cedar Falls.